for one, you know, someone who battled <laughs> the mobility issue themselves for many years. And I went through so many different systems, Corey, that promised to fix my mobility. So many that worked with vestibular systems and this system and that system, and this is going to be the magic pill to fix your mobility. Never did. <laughs> um, I really wasn't, you know, satisfied with that. And so as I dove more into just literature and just trying to connect dots of things, I, I wanted to start with a basic question. Why am I not mobile? All right, cheesy intro line three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fitness Flying Down podcast, where I am your host and owner extraordinaire, Corey Crite. So I really appreciate everybody out there putting up with me flying solo for as long as I have. And I decided that I would give your listening ears a little bit more music so you don't have to listen to my melodic voice as much. So we are going to have an exciting topic to talk about if you've ever felt tight. And you know that tightness that I'm talking about, whether it's in your shoulders or your hips, there's just something that feels tight in your body. And so I want to unpack a little bit of mobility and what exactly is mobility? Why is mobility? How is mobility? And I thought I'd bring in a great expert on mobility because sometimes he lacks that of, so he can speak on both sides of the fences. And I'm talking about nobody other than Josh Henkin, DVRT superstar. Josh, thanks for coming on. Well, thank you, Corey. But I think Jessica would totally debate you on the music to your ears that my voice provides. Maybe maybe she's tone deaf. I don't know. I'm not going to go there. But <laughs> Definitely, definitely uh, has uh, put my voice on mute, I'm sure. I think our wives do that, right? Like they just, they stop listening sometimes because they just know what we're saying is just not going to help their quality of life. <laughs> so it's like, you know what? Not, no, I'm just going to nod my head and they can get away with it. I can't get away with it because she'll say something. She's like, what do you think about that? I'm like, why don't you repeat it in case you forgot anything that you told me? You're foolish because the default answer is, I think that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. It kind of depends on if I want to pick a fight or not that night. If I want to say I'm sorry only 20 times or a million times. I had a 70-year-old plus client that was married three times. And one day he told me, he goes, Josh, there is marriage advice. Do you want to be right or do you want to be married? <laughs> yeah, true story. Yeah, it's not about being right. It's about being married. I love it. So I'm going to have to keep that in the back pocket just in case that moment arises. Absolutely, 100%, honey. Let's do it. Um, we flexible people. See how we brought that full circle? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, before we record this, this could go off the rails pretty quickly. And it just did. <laughs> Who knew that two guys would be talking about marriage counseling advice. Um, so talking about mobility, right. You know, and just kind of my background in mobility is really not nothing. I don't, you know, you go through school, you go through like, and if, even if you're not a fitness professional, people have this awareness that flexibility is important. You know, we've been talking, I think throughout all the years and all the ups and downs of fitness and phases and fads, I think stretching has always been pretty static to some degree. I would say as functional training, quote unquote, functional training in the late nineties, early two thousand starts coming around, we start having a different conversation about mobility. We kind of realize just static stretching might not be as advantageous to preparing yourself for an arduous workout, you know? So I, I know like where you place the stretching kind of started changing a little bit that maybe post-workout, you wanted to do a little bit more static stretching just to kind of cool down your body. 
but we started kind of introducing more of a, a dynamic warm up, you know, being more fluid and movement savvy so that we can prepare ourselves. So you get the ligaments, tendons, joints moving around. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, maybe the popularity of stretching, how that's kind of gone a little bit awry and maybe where the importance of like a static stretching does belong. Well, I think stretching can go a sourdough as much as a rye, but um, sorry. Oh I, my goodness. I had to do it. Today. <laughs> oh. um, now that that's out of the way. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, I think what you said is really important because I think even today, even with the different thought processes we have behind, now we focus more on mobility than we do maybe stretching flexibility is the idea. It's the injury prevention thing that everyone needs to do. And that really hasn't been supported by a lot of the research. Oh, now, here we go. Research now. We're talking about right, science. Warning signs coming. <laughs> um, and, and, and I mean, and you can have some fun conversations about the science, meaning that, okay, does anything make you completely injury resilient? No, of course not. Because there's many factors that cause injury that are uncontrollable, no matter how much we try. And we can maybe come back to that when it comes back to the, the discussion of mobility. But I think that's the premise that usually, and I'm sure you get this with clients all the time, if they're not feeling as good as they should, or they're not feeling like, you know, uh, as strong or as energetic, or they have a type of pain, the answer is always stretching. Mm -hmm. right? yeah, absolutely. Stretch more. And I remember when I was a teenager, uh, I was, I was literally, I can't remember a day that I was flexible. Um, and there's probably some degenerative reasons why, because when I was 14, as I've told, I had the back injury and that probably caused some changes. But, you know, I remember first day of physical therapy, everyone's telling me, stretch your hamstrings, you got to stretch your hamstrings more for your low back, right? And then we learned how that's not always the best advice as well. So I just think it's this preconception that whether it's flexibility or even what we're talking about more so today about mobility is that it's this magical thing that will make you completely injury resilient to everything that life throws at you or sport throws at you. And I think that's just a misnomer and a misrepresentation and a, and a unfortunate misconception of what it actually does for you. And so I think, you know, if we can sort of dispel some of that, uh, those myths and maybe set a more realistic expectation and value to mobility and, you know, flexibility, I think that's far more fruitful. I think what ended up happening to answer your question more directly is people went down the stretching line so long, but weren't getting results. So they decided to go through something else. And then people came up with this mobility concept. And once I came up with, I mean, it existed, but like they, they tried to figure out something else because we just realized this wasn't delivering the results that we thought it should when it came to injury resilience or better movement. And I think that's what caused the more higher interest level in mobility. Yeah. And so I think if we can unpack too, you know, let's talk about what, if somebody came up to you off the streets and said, what is the difference between flexibility and mobility? You know what, you're talking about stretching here, but then you talk about mobility. So is there a difference between, between flexibility and mobility? What would be your answer to that? Yeah, I, I think my on the street, you know, definition for people to make it simple is that flexibility usually refers to the status of the tissue, right? Is the tissue actually flexible? Can it actually stretch to the range of motion that would allow it to? I think mobility is how the body and the nervous system controls the range of motion of my body, whether it's a segment of a specific joint or the overall movement of the body, because those are two different things. So I think one is more looking at, you know, just the very specific connective tissue and mobility is looking at more of the integrated, how do I control my body in space? Yeah. And I think, you know, by your definition of this, it feels like a lot of the conversations we have where we talk about isolation versus integration. So it sounds like, but then I, I feel like based on what you said also, that mobility 
could give you flexibility in tissue, but flexibility in tissue doesn't necessarily equal mobility because that mobility, as you mentioned too, has to tap into the nervous system. Absolutely. And I mean, and really it's hard. I mean, there's ways to do it, but it's hard for most people to differentiate, right, between the two um, because there's so many factors that influence our movement capabilities. And I think it's so easy nowadays in social media just to go online and say, this is the reason that you're tight. Uh, it's like, you know, I've been doing this now. I was thinking about this almost 30 years now. And like, I have more questions than I feel like I have answers many times. Uh, when people ask me like, oh, I'm tight, what should I do? I have like 20 more questions I'm going to ask you before I give you an answer where I think social media has led people down this path of, you know, we'll just do this and it's going to fix mobility if you don't. And look how mobile I am so that I sh that's proof. I'm putting quotation marks up for people, air quotes, um, that it works, right? Which we could have a whole discussion how false that narrative is. But I, I, I do think overall, to your point, Yes, I'd rather probably generally focus on more mobility because I think that can enhance your flexibility. And I just haven't seen that carryover of flexibility to enhance mobility. That doesn't mean there's no place for flexibility mm -hmm. uh, training, but I think it's just what your purpose behind it is, is what drives like how much time you're going to devote to it and what type of level of importance you're going to give it. Yeah. And I, you know, we have like at Fitness Line Down, we have some standard warm-up exercises that we do, uh, depending on if you're in semi-private or group training. But, you know, sometimes afterwards, like if we get done with our warm-up, whatever, especially after a workout, it, mainly in the personal training realm, I have people that'll just hang out and do some of their kind of favorite stretches, you know, because it feels good. And for me, I, I'm i totally cool with that. Like you're doing some more activity, a little bit kind of cooling down, letting things go back to where they were. and And it feels good. You know, so I don't think they're in danger of injuring themselves and they got through everything I asked them to do. So I think it's very good that they get to do that. Um, but let, let's kind of talk about that feeling part too, because we get a lot of people and I'm sure a lot of gyms hear this and they're trying to wonder how can I combat this or what can I give people? Because people come in, they say they feel tight, they leave feeling great. They come back in, they feel tight, you know? And it's this, this feeling of being tight. And mind you, the maximum time, maximum amount of time that we see people is three hours out of a week. You know, all the other things that they're working on outside of the gym might be kind of impacting this, this tightness that they feel. Again, air quotes. So what is that with the feeling of being tight? Like, let's just say your hips. Hips are tight. Hips are always tight. Like, I don't feel like I can move very well. But then I see them moving pretty well on the training floor. What's your thoughts on that one? Well, for one, I'm excited to talk feelings with uh, Corey Cripe here. I know that's a favorite <laughs> topic. Um, I, I think it's, I mean, feeling is misleading, I think, in so many realms of training. I mean, now we have science actually showing how misleading it can be like when it comes to like, things like hypertrophy. Uh, I, the interesting part is I do think there's some legitimacy to the feeling tight part, like especially if we're talking about people that have been relatively inactive for a good period of time. There's really cool imaging you can find where there's actual structural changes to our connective tissue and our muscle when we're inactive. That makes us quote unquote tight, right? There's actual physiological changes that can occur. But I think like you said, when, when we see people then come in the gym, if they move rel relatively well, then I'm thinking, well, it's not connective tissue. There's other things going on. And, and we know nowadays, you know, everyone's so much more aware of these factors like, you know, hydration can impact tightness. You know, fatigue can impair, you know, make you feel tighter, right? Stress 
can make you feel tighter. Um, and, you know, with all those factors and they tend to overlap, you know, nutritional issues, inflammation, you know, can all make you feel tight. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough thing because if I'm, if I see you move pretty well, when you exercise, then I'm leaning towards there's other variables in connective tissue or joint that are making you feel that way. And so I'd rather dive a little bit deeper in those aspects to maybe figure out like, maybe it's increasing your general activity during the time, like you mentioned that you're not with us training, because like you said, if you're only training three hours a week, which is pretty good for a lot of people, and you're barely moving the rest of the time, then that it's going to be Groundhog's Day, right? It's going to feel right right every single time. But that, I mean, again, that gets in the conversation of, well, how do we make it more accessible to people? Because if I tell you, you know, you haven't been very active, now I want you to exercise in some form seven hours a week. That becomes very overwhelming for people and they probably won't do it. Like we've all given homework to people that they don't end up doing. Um, So it's just, it's just finding then, okay, making an agreement with a person, having them take control of like, what are you willing to do if you want to feel better to raise your activity levels or increase your hydration levels or to manage your stress a little bit better, finding maybe those one or two things that tend to be a little bit more unbalanced in their lives and going, let's develop a strategy instead of me telling you what to do. Why don't we come up with a plan of what you're willing to do to to combat that? Because I think that's, going to be more productive in a lot of cases. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, and that's the thing is, when I first, I guess when mobility came into play for me was with the functional movement system, the FMS, they had the screening kit, they still have it. Uh, For the early parts of FLD, we kind of lived and died with the FMS. I mean, if you had a dysfunctional shoulder mobility, I mean, we gave you your corrective exercises. We kind of told you what you shouldn't be doing. Well, actually, we told you what you can't be doing here in the gym and what we have to supplement that. But, and I thought that that was really fascinating because I thought that was a great introduction as well, because somebody had no idea, you know, you hear about stretching in college, you know, you gotta, I mean, I've heard about that before college, but when you're setting up a program, you know, you have five to 10 minutes of stretching before you go into this next phase, before you go to the next phase, but it was really interesting. And as you mentioned earlier, like how there's so much nervous system into mobility. So the screening process was pretty uh pretty eye opening, and you know Gray Cook being a very smart phenomenal person, talking about getting mobility before adding stability because he said the mobility the range of motion, if you don't have quote unquote functional mobility, then chasing stability and strength isn't going to work well. So I think for our clients out there, for any listeners, you know let's just say you do have that shoulder mobility issue. And you keep going in day in and day out and you're trying to get stronger in your bench press, right? You got your barbell bench press, very, very, uh, two hands, very strong, very stable, but there's those little compensations that continue to deteriorate that mobility or to impact the mobility in a negative way. You know, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. What, what are your thoughts on that whole mobility, stability, and strength aspect? Well, I'm you know, being fortunate enough to have spent some time with Gray personally uh, up in his little cottage in the middle of nowhere, which was a little, I don't know if that was a, a horror movie. First. Um, no, a very nice guy. I get to yes. ask, really talk because I think people misunderstand these concepts. So for one, you know, for the FMS part, like the screen part, basically Gray's motivation was, if I'm going to tell you something's important, I better give you a way to somehow measure it. And he'll be the first to admit that it's not a perfect system, mm-hmm. but it was meant to be a launching point 
to keep making it better. That's why you have things like the white balance screens and other things. And he wouldn't be against using other methods if they're helpful. And, and but the major goal was to do two things: to help trainers figure out what not to do with people so that they wouldn't predispose themselves to being injured, and giving people an idea of that they had risk factors. And a great analogy that Gray and Lee Burton, who created FMS, use all the time is that like high blood pressure doesn't mean you're having a heart attack, but it's a risk factor, right? So when it didn't mean like people took out of context, if you didn't score well on the FMS, it didn't mean tomorrow you're going to get injured when you work out. It meant you were at risk if you did certain mm -hmm. things to developing an injury, right? And then I think when you put in that context, it makes a lot more sense because again, it, it whenever people on, online like try to tear down the FMS, I'm like, that's fine. You can be critical of it, but tell me what you have that's going to be better. Oh, you don't have anything. Well, until we have something better, this seems reasonable to at least use if it's used with the right intent and context, right? Yes. Uh, and then as far as like the mobility and stability thing, that I think people and I, you know, I got, I would scratch my head a lot when Gray would talk about that and then finally got talked to him about it. It's like, it's worded kind of badly because it makes people think they work on mobility, then they work on stability. And that's not what he meant. In your example, if I can't get my arm overhead to do as an overhead press, I'm got to restore that mobility to my upper body before I do an overhead press. That makes sense, right? But the way I improve that mobility might be through stability. Well, okay, now we have a different discussion. So his point <laughs> was I have to have mobility in the joint, but the way I get that isn't necessarily moving my arm in a circle or stretching my pec necessarily. It might be through some stability work to then improve that overhead mobility. So that's what he meant, that you have to have the movement capabilities before you start adding load or a lot of challenge to these patterns. And when you put in that, again, context, I think it makes a lot more sense, right? I think we can all relatively agree that that's not a, a crazy thought process no no i think that's i think that's the uh putting the horse in front of the cart kind of mentality is yes that makes a lot of sense let's just say though for our listening audience that might not be so savvy and all the itties that we've been talking about how is would you define the the, <laughs> the itties and the isms but let's stick with the itties now let's let's help people figure out what is when you say stability what does that mean you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before in the podcast, but for anybody out there that's just like, okay, I have a general sense of what mobility is because it's a range of motion. It's including the joints, the whole area, nervous system. I get that. But then they hear stability, like, what is this that came out of left field? Well, I, I think, you know, as we've talked about before, I, I like, I think it's hard to beat the, as far as we're talking about on the street definition for people. The one Dr. Bram Marcello came up with, which is allowing wanted movement, resisting unwanted movement. So in your example, I'll put your arm overhead. So I want to be able to allow my arm to go overhead, but let's say I'm creating some force now. I want to be resist forces that may be creating, in, wanting to like change the stability or the strength of the joint, right? Or the direction of the joint. I want to be able to resist those forces. So for example, if I take a dumbbell, we know there's more forces acting upon the shoulder to stabilize so that that shoulder doesn't get maneuvered around than if I grab a barbell versus if I just get on a machine. And if a machine, I have very little demands of my nervous system, my body to resist on one and force because the machine is doing it for me. The next level is the barbell. And then the next level would be like a, cow, a dumbbell or a cowbell, right? Those add greater demands. And we've seen that that increases activation of the surrounding musculature because the body has to create a platform for the body to allow that force to be created, but also has to use muscles to resist 
natural gravity and other forces that are trying to move the body because again we have to balance the singular implement so i think that that's a a good way of generally thinking about it it's not just doing a plank or you know a crazy standing on unstable surface drill there may be elements of stability towards those exercises and there's different levels of stability but i think we have to understand the concept before we prescribe the exercise well, hundred percent. Yeah. And you have to know why you, exactly. You have to know why you're prescribing that exercise. Like what, what is this going for somebody that might have shoulder mobility issues, shoulder impingement, you know, is it a lack, is it a stability problem? And I, I found, you know, it's just an arbitrary number, but nine times out of 10, you clean up stability, you're going to start getting that range of motion. And I think it's exciting because you know, how you talked about Dr. Brandon Marcello's, uh, resisting unwanted motion so you can create water motion kind of like i always call that like energy leaks you know because i think about <laughs> and you, you're a chicago boy you know if you got your house in the dead of winter and there's like some cracks in the window or around the frame there's some leaking coming in and so if somebody's trying to do that overhead press but their body's starting to shift side to side or maybe they're overextending you know they're arching their back and their chest comes up well that all restricts that mobility which makes it less strong for that press, less efficient. You know, we want our homes to be energy efficient. We want our bodies to be energy efficient. So it is really great. I'm glad that you gave that example of the implements that we're using and how that taps into that nervous system. Because all of a sudden you give somebody a single implement, you know, people will be thinking, well, barbell's heavier. Isn't that going to cause more demands on your nervous system because it's so much heavier as opposed to holding a single dumbbell or a kettlebell. But because you have that offsetness now, and how your body has to respond to that to hold itself in, that that would increase your stability demands, correct? Yeah, and I think to your example of the window, if you don't fix those cracks over time, what happens? Oh, shoot. I mean, it's just, it's going to get worse and worse. And yeah. The window breaks. And that's what injury basically happens a lot of times, right? Mm-hmm. You allow it, it, it's people think like when I say an exercise isn't good, that means tomorrow when you do it, you're going to get, you're going to die. No, I mean like, Six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, when you have that achy shoulder and you're wondering like, why do I have an achy shoulder? Because that window finally broke. Yes. And 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 I th- I do. I think people get fixated on the weight. And listen, I love adding as much load as we can use well. But the problem, and you and I keep talking about this, people have is if I just say, give me the heaviest weight, that's an incomplete description of the situation. Well. That's assuming all my tools are the same and they're not. So, you know, is a hundred pound barbell the same as a 60 pound dumbbell in a press? I don't know. Right. I mean, I've seen, we've all seen the example. I think we can all wrap our heads around the example that most 99.9% of the people out there, because I'm sure someone raised their hand, can barbell bench press more than they can dumbbell bench press. Why is that? They're both weights. Mm-hmm. The, the weight, the physical weight has not changed but the demands upon the body have. And so therefore I can't, that'd be like saying, well, Josh, I don't believe lunges make you as strong as squats because you can use more load in a squat. Well, then I can go, well, I can use more load in a leg press. So why don't I just leg press and not even squat? So you can go down that rabbit hole of that thought process and you're right back to, well, because I know that it's easier. The machine's balancing it for me. Aha, it is. You're not working as hard because things are being balanced for you. I'm not saying you can never use a barb on you're a bad person if you do, but if you don't realize these differences, I think they keep people stuck in these mind mindsets that are non-productive for their goals. 
Right. And yeah, exactly their goals. Cause you wonder if somebody's past the age of 30, 40 and they're still barbell bench pressing, you know, and they're not competing, like, what is the goal? You know, I mean, is, is, is it the flash? Is it the sexiness of the barbell bench press that you're trying to reclaim the weight you had in high school or college? You know, and, and like you said, if you're barbell bench pressing, if you're barbell anything, it doesn't make you a bad person, but you have to realize what's going on, you know, and how you can use other exercises to help so you don't lose that mobility. Because after a while, as you talked about, if you have those shoulder issues, those energy leaks, the cracks in the windows, you wonder why after a while your elbows and your shoulders are aching after you get done bench pressing. I mean, case in point, it's been a couple of decades now, but I was at a kind of a muscle gym here in town. And, you know, I was still flying high on my internship and functional training. Like I just swore off all bench pressing and probably because I was not very good at it, you know, meaning I couldn't put up a lot of weight, but there's these guys, I mean, they were monsters and they had their sleeves over their elbows and all this. And I remember one guy laying down to get ready for a set of the bench press. And he just said, man, what I wouldn't give for my elbows not to hurt anymore after I get done bench pressing. And it's just kind of like, you know, maybe you should stop bench pressing. I don't know. that. Might, and that's it's kind of one of the things that I think you're talking about with gray and FMS is there some things that you should just maybe pause for a second, let the body recover, reclaim that mobility through stability. I, it's just, it is funny how this, this fitness world can be so upside down sometimes. Well, and I love to do these little thought experiments with people. Again, I'm using air quotes because I think uh, people don't love them when I do them with them. Um, so if I ask fitness pros, what's your number one goal for your clients? I, I would hope at least in the top two would be to be healthy. And if we take part of being healthy as not in, in creating more pain or relieving some pain or you know minimizing pain and improving function, I think that sounds like a pretty good definition of health, right? So then if you're, if you're exposing people that do not necessarily, I mean, the only people that need to barbell benefits that need to are powerlifters because that is their sport. If you're exposing clients to higher stress that can negatively impact their health, then why are you doing it? And then I get the, the answer, well, I need to be strong. Well, you tell me you, so the belief is you can't be strong any other way, but Bench press, but barbell bench press. So then, if we take, and I could say I could use barbell back squats in my same example. As you say, you can you can insert yeah. any exercise in there. Exercise. But I go, okay. So, but here's my bigger question: Even if you do believe that, if you believe that barbell bench pressing is the only way it can be stronger, then are you so? Is if health is number two, is being stronger number one in your priorities? <laughs> and how long can you be stronger if you're not healthy? Right. And then people's like heads explode because their 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 values are in conflict, right. right? Which one is more important, health or quote unquote being stronger? Which is of course a vague reference because you want to be stronger at the barbell bench press or what, right? And so I think that's the that that people we we say all the time in our industry, Corey. You've heard it like a million times, right? Do no harm. Then why do we expose people to exercises that can negatively impact their health and well being? the internet <laughs> yeah but i mean okay but if you if people understood like you know the contraindications or at least the stresses the different levels of stresses certain exercises place on people would you still do them no oh. i think and i've gone with people go and people think the body is just magical like the body is resilient i get that all the time it's resilient yes my car is resilient but if i drive it into a wall at 60 miles an hour it's not going to be as resilient is it 
right? If someone bumps my fender, that's very different than me and slamming at 100 miles an hour. So again, we get these horrible, like you said, isms, you know, these memes of fitness that when you actually put them under a microscope and go, is this actually a good philosophy? The answer is usually not really. Right. Not if health is our priority for people. I mean, yeah, checkmate right there, but it's ignorance is bliss for a lot of trainers, you know, because of course we just fall back on what we like. It's all about feelings again, as we talk about our fuzzy feelings and what can smoke my client. Cause that's, you know, it kind of goes back to that whole, there's just so many concepts and so many factors that have to unpack on that. But, you know, we get nervous because we're hired to do something. If we don't give them that training effect, if we don't make them feel sore, then they're going to think that we're not very good, blah, blah, blah. However, I kind of want to get back on the rails of mobility. <laughs> I just say one thing really fast though, Corey. Please, please. Is that a knowledge problem or is that a confidence problem? Oh, mic drop. <laughs> so is your problem you don't have enough knowledge or you don't have enough confidence? And they can be interrelated. If you don't they, have enough knowledge, you may not definitely, feel confident. They definitely can be, yeah. No, I think that's, oh. a, that's a great response. If someone, if, a, if an ultimate sandbag is not appropriate for someone, I'm not giving it to them. I'm confident enough I can do this another way. But I think there's a lot of trainers that lack knowledge and confidence. And when you put those two things together, that's where you get bad programs. Yes. <laughs> and I, I only think about Corey back in the day that would only have oh, yeah. exercises, you know, and it is nice now because yeah, there's sometimes where I have a better, and you're talking, you know, we're talking about two people here that I absolutely love DVRT and ultimate sandbag training. But sometimes the ultimate sandbag is not the right tool for the moment. Yeah. And that's okay because we have so many more things that we can partake in because as you mentioned, it's first do no harm. You know, I want our clients to leave feeling better than they arrived. And that's not just that endorphin high where it's like, oh, I did a workout. I feel so good, but I got to go pop some Tylenol or I'm just, you know, I'm going to be sore for days. I don't want that. I really don't. I want people to just leave being like, wow, you know, I had an achy shoulder. I had a bum knee. My knee, my back was talking to me a little bit before I came in, but now I'm leaving. Yeah. I just feel more, more strong. You know, I feel more stable if you can. So, um, all right, going back to mobility, because this is what, this was what totally blew my mind is living in the FMS world for a while. And they gave some great, you know, they gave some great stuff for like corrective exercises um, different things that you could do to help help increase mobility. And, you know, when you look back at it, a lot of it was also being stable at the same time. So those are not interchangeable, but they definitely are hand-holding relationship. But what really got me intrigued was when I started entering into DVRT and I started going down that rabbit hole. And I remember because, as we talked about earlier, if you're having a mobility issue, as Greg Cook would say, don't build strength on top of bad mobility. Some I'm paraphrasing, probably butchering it. But yeah, if you can't move your arm overhead, you probably shouldn't load that. Now, the question for me was, well, what is that load? Because I started finding out through DVRT, if I have an ultimate sandbag, and if I'm cueing the right things, if I'm driving with my feet, I'm creating stability through the body. And that stability actually ends up promoting enhancing mobility in the shoulders. You know, I've heard you guys talk about all the time and I'm a true believer and I see a day in and day out of this gym, how your feet impact your shoulders health. So as I'm learning how to press, so I might have some, and the load is reasonable. 
you know, as you mentioned before, about lifting a heavyweight well. You know, you actually mentioned that, and that's really stuck in my head because that's a great thing to say. But you give them a you give them a load that's got that feedback. It's not there's not too much input. It's not so heavy that they're just their body has to move around to move the weight. But it's one where they really engage the feet into the floor, bag goes up. And why is their shoulder mobility improved just in a couple reps of an exercise? Yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack there. I think for one, you know, someone who battled <laughs> the mobility issue themselves for many years, and I went through so many different systems, Corey, that promised to fix my mobility. So many that worked with vestibular systems and this system and that system, and this is going to be the magic pill to fix your mobility. Never did. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, not for a like longer period of time than like five minutes. Right. Um, I really just wanted to gain a better understanding. Like, am I just structurally problematic and I'm just not a mobile person? Is this a genetic thing? I really wasn't, you know, satisfied with that. And so as I dove more into just literature and just trying to connect dots of things, I, I wanted to start with a basic question. Why am I not mobile? Why do I feel not mobile? That's a great question to start with. Yeah, right? Like, we're so much in a rush to give people an exercise to fix a problem, but we don't ask, why are they not mobile? Like, like you said before, why are you feeling tight? Well, let's examine lots of different factors. And it, it was very interesting to find out that, again, you know, your nervous system, number one, always wants to protect you. It wants to live. Your body mainly wants to survive, right? So if you ever thinks you're in danger, and danger meaning it doesn't have to be like a lion eating you, uh, or, you know, your wife yelling at you, it could be just, you know, your body feeling this stress that is not safe. So whether it's doing an extreme stretch, doing a mobility drill that's really painful, or maybe it's getting into an exercise position that is tearing my body, I don't feel safe, your body will react and create tightness, mm -hmm. right? So if I don't, if I come into your gym and I haven't moved for most of my day because I'm working at the office or what it may be, my body's been supported by probably a chair most of the day. Right. So my nervous system's pretty much been on cruise control as far as supporting it. And then I come in your gym. Now things need to be active and my nervous system's not there yet because it's like, wait, what are we doing? And so how do I get my nervous system to go? Hey, we need to create all the connection of these muscles to create a stable foundation, just like the building example, right? Can't build a tall building on a weak foundation so that we can create strength. We can create force. We can create mobility, we feel it's safe to move. So if there's a disruption in the chain, the nervous system is going to go, uh-uh, it's not safe, right? I don't, I don't like this. It's not safe. So where do we start with if we're thinking about where should we first make sure that the body is creating stability so the foundation feels strong? Well, we're bipedal animals. We're upright. We're meant to be moving around a lot on our feet. Extends our feet would be the first place. But I, time and time again, even when it comes to things like squatting, what's the first thing you hear coaches say, or you'll hear, you know, people talk about is pushing the knees forward or seeing the butt back, and no one talks about the feet. Well, we're squatting, and we don't even talk about the feet for people. It's not enough to be barefoot, but how we use our feet, right? It's not enough to be in minutes, it's being active with your feet. And so it was amazing just when I started playing with that myself, you know, being someone who had a lot of little back pain, also my little back pain was better. I've been to numerous physical therapists over the years. No physical therapist had me be deliberate in how I use my feet. 
And all of a sudden my back pain was better when I did things. But then you look up the concept we talked before on your on your podcast about fascial lines and fascia. Well, that's just the, the connective. That's just how the body connects and, you know, force transmission up the body. And so how do all these muscles start to speak to each other? Well, then I look at, well, what's the next joint up? And then the next part up. And how's that? And if you understand how the chain works, it's like building like a Lego building block, right? right. If you understand how the parts start to fit together, then all of a sudden, if you have a part that broke off, now you see this break in the chain. Now the body goes, uh-oh, I don't feel this stability anymore. I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to create some tightness somewhere. Or I'm going to start using another area of my body in a different way that's not really meant to be used because I still got to move, right? Because your body is still thinking I'm maybe hunting for food or, you know, getting away from something. Like it still needs to be able to move. Well, I'm just going to move from somewhere else. And you do that repeatedly over time. You develop dysfunction. You develop pain. You develop lack of mobility, stress in the joint. And I think that's like why and how we got to this system. Because as much as I appreciate and I learned a lot from FMS, like I wanted to systemize that process. Like, okay, well, where do we start? Like, how do we get people to start understanding these concepts? What what position do they need to be in? What type of feedback do they require in order to achieve these concepts? Because they're nice if I describe them that way, but you go to the gym tomorrow, what does that look like? Yeah. And if you start with all good intentions, with doing that, but you start at too advanced of a drill for yourself, then you're not going to get the benefits. You're going to be, oh, Josh is full of it. It doesn't work. So part of what we really wanted to do, a big part of it was to systemize it. Start here. Mm-hmm. It's always cool. If, like, if, if it's easy for you, cool. Then we have, well, guess what? The next step for you to go. If that's easy, we keep going, going, going. It's so funny when people go to me and they ask me all the time, well, where do I start? I go at the beginning. They look at me funny because they want a magical exercise, right? There's always magical exercise. I'm like, no, start at the beginning and you'll find your quote unquote magical exercise for you. Because it's right time. where you are on that spectrum, right? Where are you on that continuum? What is your body asking for? And so where does your nervous system feel safe? And that you can then teach it to move more effectively and efficiently. And for our listening audience, you know, I'm just in here nodding and laughing and smiling because it's what we do every day. You know, we get the new people. And, you know, their body's already probably tight because they're just scared of being in a new gym and facility that it's more of a, that like, you know, and it's not even exercise. We talked about this many times just to make them feel comfortable with some, some bad dad jokes, you know, but the environment, all this, but we give them that first exercise where all of a sudden they gain a little confidence. You just start seeing the shoulders drop away from the ears. Like they're like, oh, okay, this isn't so bad because they have this preconceived notion of what fitness is and that you're going to get lambasted, you know, and you're just going to get drilled into the ground. But it is, it's a great thing. And I'm glad you brought up about how that tightness is such a protective mechanism because there's something in the, a chink in the armor, if you will, in the brain, it wants to protect, it wants to survive. So as soon as it's running that, you know, you just think about when you turn on your computer and if there's a virus, it's going to warn you about this. It's going to maybe not allow you to play on the computer because there's a virus. So your brain just detects that there's something wrong in the body and it could be something pretty insignificant, but it's still going to draw into that. And as you talked about, if you're if you're in an artificial, stable environment for most of your day by sitting in a chair, your your core isn't working as hard. Your brain doesn't have to work, you know, your central nervous system. So I like how you said that. You go to the gym and now you're expected to do something. And you're you know, your your sleeping nervous system now all of a sudden it kind of wakes up like groggy, like what are we doing? And all of a sudden you're hitting power cleans with a barbell or you're snatching or you're doing squat overhead presses 
right out of the gate just because you did did a couple of toe touches, you know, or something like this. And that's that right there. I mean, that's what I love about what DVRT offers. And it, it plays so well. Like you said, I mean, FMS brings some great things to the table. The systematic approach is not there. You know, how do you, how do you systemize these corrective exercises? What's the next level? Because we had people that were forever doing the corrective exercises. And it's like, well, where do we go from here? There was really no next step. You know, and they're just like, I'm getting kind of bored with this one. I don't know if it's really working. And it's just like, I don't know, because that's all I know. But all of a sudden now, we start learning about that wonderful saying, how core stability, proximal stability, draws in distal mobility. So for anybody out there listening, I mean, and you'd also, would I be wrong, Josh, to say like stability is also the proper muscles firing at the proper time, right? Just like the sequential firing that there's no like, misfiring of the muscle would that be kind of accurate yeah i think that's rather fair yeah. okay so when we're doing like something like a dead bug and we're moving around now all of a sudden it's like how that core fires and inter- and how the body interacts through the core you know you've got moving legs moving arms sometimes but all of a sudden now that interaction between your upper body and your lower body through a properly firing sequential a proper sequential muscle firing through the core that core stability, something so close, so proximal, allows you to have better range of motion through your shoulders, better mobility through your hips. And for me, what a time saver. You know, instead of sitting here spending, devoting 10 plus minutes to corrective exercises for warming up, I don't have a lot of time in my day to spend doing this. So if I can be including a lot of this stuff into my workout, that is still strength training, you know, or maybe, maybe I just dedicate a couple exercises, a couple, couple high bangers in the beginning to make sure that I've got that firing going before I go to the, my rest of my workout. What a great time saver. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I hope you don't mind if I take a little tangent on it, because I mean, you, you probably experience this all the time when, when we post like our mobility drills, I don't think people get it because it doesn't look like what they see nine times out of 10 when it comes to hashtag mobility training. Right. Um, and there's such a flaw, I think, and I'll bring this full circle back to your time thing, don't worry. Uh, the idea that so many people have about mobility, which is, let's say my shoulder, I lack mobility. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to move my arm in a circle to gain that mobility back. Here's what the problem I have with that. For one, if you believe that the shoulder joint is the responsible part for this lack of shoulder mobility, then how are you fixing it by just moving in a circle? Right. That's like saying I have a tire that has a hole in it. I'm just going to keep driving on it and it'll inflate more. How? <laughs> right. I don't, I don't understand how that happens. Right. And you also have connective tissue, right? We have tendons, ligaments, we have fascia, we have muscle. So how are you determining none of those structures are impeding the movement on my shoulder? Cause I, I've come to this like realization. I don't know if I have a better term yet myself. I don't like the word joint mobility hmm. because it implies the joint's the problem. I don't know the joint is the problem. I don't have an MRI machine to sit there and analyze your joint. And I have a funny story about that in a second. But like, so people are making these major assumptions that are based on nothing. And by the way, my neck really impacts my shoulder joint. So now I got to consider my neck. So how's that circle going to work if my neck is the problem? But we also know the core can cause a shoulder problem. 
and my hip on the opposite side of my foot can cause a shoulder problem. So how did I determine that's the joint? Oh, by the way, if you do it in the morning time, I may get a different result than you do in the evening time because fatigue alters mobility, nutrition, hydration, stress. So I think we've come up with such a flawed system of looking at mobility that we go, we're back to bodybuilding. Joint, don't move, move joint. Like, <laughs> it, it, and then people go, oh, there's so much literature. I go, no, there's not, buddy. Because here's the thing, like 30 years of being in this industry will teach you. I've done these systems before. They were just called something else. I know what the literature says. It doesn't say what you think. Saying me a YouTube video of someone talking about it is not literature, <laughs> which has actually happened. So I'm not making this up. <laughs> I love it. But So if I come as a coach, what can I have the biggest impact on? It's like what you're talking about. Can I give people in a position where they can learn how to control their bodies more effectively, tone down the nervous system, give them feedback so they understand how to use their appropriate structures, and nine times out of 10, I'll get a positive result. They may not be cured, but we're going to be much better than we were before. Versus I did those arm circles and stretches and this and that, you know, move your eyes, you know, 360 degrees. You can get some cool nervous system tricks where you're better for about 30 seconds, but you go back moving again and it comes right back because you didn't actually address the issue. You just gave a little neural input trick. I want to fix the issue. And for most people, especially like we can't say our society is more deconditioned and inactive than ever and not think that is the predominant factor that is causing their lack of mobility and all the things that come with that. So it's like, it just, to me, it's the most efficient, but also the most thoughtful way of approaching mobility. Sorry for that tangent, but. I, I appreciate it. And I just, you know, it's a tragedy, you know, just interject is with what you're just talking about with the amount of deconditioned and uh, not active people that we have people on social media that are basically like, if I can do this, you can do this. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying not to talk negatively about anyone in particular, but there is a theme of people that were former gymnasts and martial artists, for example, that I know several of that will go and go, look at this mobility exercise. But I'm like, you've been doing gymnastics and mobility for 20 years, or you grew up since you were five years old doing these things. Of course you have good mobility. Take someone day one who hasn't been moving and show me how you're going to help them because you see it all the time. You see, see, you see it with stretching and now you see it with mobility, right, Corey? Where you get people being put in these positions or doing these movements and there's cringing. And literally, I see certificate, mobility certifications and people are like almost in tears when they're trying to go through a movement. That is your nervous system going, no, please stop. So, but people think the more painful it is, the better it is. I'm fixing your mobility. Where no, your nervous system going to go, heck no, let's crank on the brakes even harder. And you're going to feel worse and you're going to move worse. So it's just a complete misunderstanding of so many of the variables that impact mobility that lead people going down these routes. And I know everyone wants the answer, right? Right. And then, yeah, 20 years ago, I won the answer badly too. Hey, if I thought there was the answer today, I'd want it now too. But I know there's not the answer. There's a lot of questions and then maybe I'll come up with a plan and we'll find better ways of doing things. But there's no one thing that's probably going to work for everyone because people come in with different issues that's causing their limited mobility. Well, I tell you, I mean, that's right there. And I think when you're talking about all this and you did so, so well, even on the soapbox, I appreciate that. You know, I do. 
as we get back to like, by, I think I got sponsored by Dove or something. Way I'm going to <laughs> we might have to, we might have to get a, a little, uh, I think so. Like I can make some money off this. I can finally monetize my podcast. This is great. Um, you know, kind of going full circle too, back to like the stretching thing and the feeling thing, because as people feel their hamstrings being tight, you know, I've got to stretch my hamstrings, got to stretch my hamstrings. And it's like years of stretching, years of foam rolling, and you're still doing it and you're still feeling the same thing. Like you got to kind of step outside the box and realize maybe it is more than that. And as we're talking about with the stability factor now, especially through the core, through the feet, that maybe your hamstrings are putting in too much work. You know, that the, maybe the, the brain, as you talked about, creating that tightness in the hamstrings because of a lack of stability in another part of your body. You know, so it's, and point. you know, for the longest time, I used to be that, because that's what we're taught. Hey, it only makes sense when you look at a skeleton or a human body, like, oh, the hamstrings are here. So if the hamstrings are tight, that's going to pull on your pelvis. That's going to cause some issues for your low back but it's so much more. And that's what makes this industry so much more exciting is when we can unpack. And actually, you know, the one reason why I went to school for this, I tell people was that I love the art of coaching. I love program design. I love this, but I wanted some science behind it. I wanted to make sure that what I was doing with pen and paper and coaching could be backed up with science. And throughout all school, I'll be honest, I didn't really get that. You know, you learn anatomy, you learn physiology, you learn biomechanics, but there wasn't the in-depth that I'm getting now. You know, I feel like now I'm learning so much more than I once did. And, you know, for a little example of this is we would get the college students to come and visit Fitness Line Down for the program because we're very fortunate that the university is just like a few blocks up the road. And this is where we get a lot of our awesome interns and things like that. But I'd always pinpoint, I'd try to find a male in this group who looks kind of big you know, who has some good muscle build on them. And I would ask them to come forward and I would do the FMS shoulder mobility screen, which I think is a pretty legit screen. It's very standardized for FMS things. And we would do the shoulder mobility. And we find out that this person really lacked the mobility because I give them the criterion with your hand, you know, if your, if your fists go between, okay, yeah. So they're way outside of the criteria. They were very dysfunctional with their shoulder mobility. And I would set them down and we would do some dead bugs, just some simple dead bugs. And I remember I'd usually keep it, you know, I'd make it very intentional, very meaningful that they're not just throwing their legs around, but as they're holding on to the ultimate sandbag, not even moving the ultimate sandbag, right? Just that intention of the grip, driving their feet out. They would come back, maybe three reps each side of the legs, come back, perform that same mobility screen. And every time, 10 times out of 10, I was always waiting for the one time it wouldn't work. 10 times out of 10, their mobility not only improved, but improved dramatically enough that the crowd is like, how'd you do that? <laughs> you know, like, and I would tell them like, we didn't stretch. We didn't foam roll. What did we do? We just turned on the nervous system. Like we, we made it come alive again. We re, as we talk, you know, DVRT restoration, we started restoring what was lost. And it is, it's so interesting that, I mean, it's the foundation to what we do before workouts, you know, before a training session begins, we're hitting those DVRT restorations and nobody ever gets like, Hey, we're going to do some dead bugs. That sounds great. You know, that's usually the response. Like we're going to do some hip bridges. Oh, I can't wait. You know, like they just can't wait to get that stuff done because they know how good their body feels. And it's not just that, it's not just that goodness. Like they feel so much more opened up again. I, I'm sorry. I got to give another example. Cause I think it was in, for some reason, I remember we were in California 
I think it was performed better 2019 because I've only been there twice. And you had somebody performing a dead buck, right? And when they got done, like how they jumped up, you know, you could just tell them, you're like, hey, you feel pretty good, don't you? They're like, yeah. And, you know, I think you rescreened up something like that. So it's just the amazingness of how such a little exercise with a lot of meaning could actually go so far. No, those are great stories. I know that you have another great one about like around the world, but I think too, the, the cool part about that is in my experience is I definitely know it's not the placebo effect, which can work for people because most times when I do this to people, they don't want it to work. Mm-hmm. They want like, because I'm doing this to fitness pros, they want to prove me wrong, right? And they like come up and all like begrudging, like, dang it, I do feel better. I do, I am moving better. Like people can see it, right? Um, and that's like my dismay too. And so much of what I see, like one of my biggest pet peeves, and I have many of them, I admit, with social media now, everyone's grabbing skeletons, right? And showing you, and I have no problem, like general awareness of anatomy, that's good and well. But what happens when people are holding up these skeletons and pulling and this and that, and pushing and this and that, like you're missing so much more of the body. Most importantly, you're missing that nervous system. And so it's like, we're making people think that everything is structure and anatomy. Like I was sharing with you the other day, someone was trying to make the point, like, isn't, you know, someone's femur length going to change their squat? I'm like, change it doesn't necessarily mean negatively. Mm-hmm. It's going to be different. Like, that because she shared with me a post by an influential person saying, oh, this person leaned. This is, this is great. This is my favorite example. Took, the, took two women. This was the most unscientific example ever, but let's go with it. Of the same height. Apparently, one had a longer femur short torso than the other one, right? And so they showed, he showed through pictures how the one with the more, uh, shorter femur torso ratio, ratio squatted more upright and deeper than the one with the longer femur short torso. Therefore, a longer femur makes you bend over. I'm like, wow, this is the least scientific thing I've ever heard in my life. Like I joked with you at the time, like one was blonde, one was brunette. I couldn't make the same assumption about their hair color. It was so unscientifically done, right? Because I'm like, did we measure their ankle mobility in each person? Do we measure their hip mobility? Do we know their health history? Do we know their proficiency in the movement? Do we know whether they're queuing? They weren't even in the same shoe wear. So we didn't even standardize their shoe wear. So we don't even know, like, was one more imbalanced than the other? My point is, yes, our anatomy will all cause us to move slightly differently. That's true. But it doesn't mean it should be this big dramatic thing that, like, well, when in doubt, it's the anatomy, which is basically what this person was saying. And my, my problem with that is, to me, that's a default that coaches use when they can't figure out what the problem is. Yeah, 100%. As coaches, like, I've heard so many fitness pros get upset when their clients have, like, some pain somewhere and their doctor writes off as arthritis to go, oh, you just say everything's arthritis. Well, we do the same thing. We just call everything anatomy. <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't know what the problem is. It's, it's your anatomy. Like, we may move slightly differently, but it shouldn't make that big of a difference. We should still be able to all move well to a relative range, right? And that's the thing about mobility. Mobility has a range. When we look at mobility of a joint, it has a range. So it takes into account the differences we all have in our anatomy. But I think as trainers, we want to give ourselves the pass going, I don't know what the problem is. It's long femurs. I don't know why we never never say long humeruses when it comes to bench pressing. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Yeah, right? And it it only works in certain joints. I, I don't know how that came to be. So my point is, like, I just think that we need to do a better job of understanding what influences mobility the most, what we have the most control over, and addressing those things. Because like you said, taking this full circle, it'll make our training so much more efficient. And we're not going to be able to fix everything because 
And now Jessica says this with her patients, I can't fix you. I can only teach you things, help fix yourself. So if our clients don't do more stuff in their lives, if, like you said, going back to the beginning, if their only time moving is with me three hours a week, I can't fix it. I can only keep trying to make them better every time they come in, right? And I tell them that. I educate them on that. And that's their decision then what they want to do. But I mean, doing a lot of the mobility stuff is so fragmented, right? We've taken this bodybuilding approach and we're missing the point because the number one thing we should be approaching before anything else is our nervous system because it's the most powerful thing that we can impact, right? So I, I, that's that's the thought process behind it. Well, it's a wonderful thought process. Uh, and that's the one thing, like I would say for anybody out there listening, you know, it's so funny when you hear mobility training. I think it's the same thing as I use a hashtag though, but like sandbag training, what's sandbag training? I don't know. But mobility training, it's just like, it doesn't seem to make sense. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, is what day do I have to do mobility training on? But if, yeah, if you're talking to somebody and they're talking a game about mobility, I think the best like litmus test of this is talking about the nervous system. And if they can't talk about the nervous system, if all they can talk about is, as you mentioned, joint mobility and hopefully that's an eye-opener for people because like oh yeah wow um you know you've said it before i've heard it is the victim usually screams louder than the criminal you know so where you feel it is not necessarily where the problem is so instead of doing your shoulder circles or your hip circles or anything like this maybe you should work on some footwork making sure your feet are planted in the ground and you'd be amazed you know and i'm only saying that you'll be amazed because i'm always amazed every time somebody comes in and they talk about how bad their hips are, how hard their knees, how much their knees hurt. They can't squat. They can't lunge without pain. And then we give them like a DVRT press out and there's absolutely no problem. You know, we teach them how to use their feet, their hands. We get that stability. And all of a sudden the hips just open up. Why do the hips open up? Because my feet are working hard. Hands are working hard. And like you said, it is not a placebo effect because after they start becoming proficient in a press out squat, then what do we do? We take it up to the next level. And they, all of a sudden they're like, you know, maybe I just think about like a goblet squat, right? A kettlebell goblet position and people, it's a pretty popular exercise. Uh, some people have had that in the past and, you know, their knees hurt. So all of a sudden they go back to the same implement after learning how to squat with the press out squat, educating themselves to be better that now using the same tools, the same, the same method like feet, they go into that same goblet squat that they did before that caused pain. And now there's no pain. And then we just keep going up the ladder of progressions when they're ready. You know, there's no timetable on this. We're not saying, I expect you now to be doing a fist loaded squat, press overhead week three. You know, we just take our time with everybody. We let them progress in a natural fashion. And talking about that activity outside of the gym, I think you would agree for a lot of people, it becomes, you know, because We've mentioned this before. If you're in pain, you don't want to move because movement will cause pain. But if you start showing people a way outside of pain now through fitness, their confidence increases. You know, they they actually, it's a snowball effect. They actually want to go out. They want to do more things that they didn't do before because they didn't do it because they didn't want to be in pain. But now they're they're taking some of these hikes and they're always coming back because like, they know that this is where they gain that strength and that stability and that confidence. And the more they can go up the system and progressions, it's like, they feel like the more things that they can do with, and it's a lot of confidence, right? There's a lot of, that could be somewhat of a placebo. Like, yeah, you're strong now, 
but and maybe I'm maybe I'm butchering that a little bit, but they're so much more stronger now that they they can have the opportunity to do more things that they would avoid in the past. Yeah, I mean, I think the belief that now you're not going to hurt as much is super powerful, but they they didn't come into you thinking that you were going to be able to help that, right? Or oftentimes, or didn't know how you're going to go about that. I mean, you give them a dead bug, they don't go, oh, this is an obvious way to address my whatever issue. And and so I think that that is very, very powerful. And I think, you know, just going back for a second, in case people think like, oh, is this is weird things that Josh and Corey think of as like, this is this is based upon stuff that we've known for literally decades. In the 1940s, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, PNF, was a physical therapy system developed to restore function in like paraplegics and cerebral palsy type people. And it was taken by neurotherapists. And they realized that neurology played a huge role in functional movement. And that's why you see all these diagonal patterns, like say nowadays lift and chops, but there's diagonal patterns in PNF for literally every extremity in the body. But they realized the power the nervous system had. And so it's disheartening in a way that this is 1940s and 2023, we're like, eh, I don't care. It's got to focus on your shoulder joint, right? Yeah. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a wonderful example of this because with all my surgeries, like just because always thrown for a loop, like my right shoulder doesn't move as well, not because of the shoulder joint, but because of my neck. So we can sit there and do circles till the cows come home and gain better unless I do specific things that address what the neck and the low back do. Then my shoulder mobility improves in two seconds every single time. So it just, it's just, for me, it's not about being right. It's about giving people a better solution. So like you said, they can feel better, then they start living better quality of lives. But you have to be open to this. And I, and I don't quite understand nowadays, like I was just talking to a friend today, like if you told me, if you gave me more information, the reason I keep learning is because I want to change my mind. I want, or I want to grow what I'm doing. If, so if you give me new information that makes sense and it's based on you know good evidence and it's going to make me do something differently than I did before, I'm going to do it. But nowadays, like, no, I'm going to fight you. I'm invested in being in the part of this system, in this community. I'm wearing my shirts. I have it as part of my Instagram bio. I'm not changing what I do. There's, that's the difference between ignorance and stupidity. Mm-hmm. Ignorance is I don't know any better. Stupid is you know better, you decide not to do it. Right? And I think our, our industry has to stop being stupid sometimes. All the time. All the time. Because there's what we're talking about when we're talking about all this stuff, it may sound far-fetched because people may have never heard it before, but it's very well established in the literature. Mm-hmm. And we just have to choose to start to use it and prioritize it versus you know what is marketable and easy for people to understand. My hip hurts. Keep doing hip circles. Well, why, why does your hip hurt? Nobody asked the obvious question. <laughs> I mean, I can go to your health history. Oh, I broke my ankle when I was 15. Well, we know ankle sprains impact gluteal usage. So maybe I need to restore foot and ankle stability before I, and all of a sudden my ankle mobility, my hip mobility will go up. But that just takes a willingness to invest the time into understanding the body better and not right. I mean, I, I just don't understand the idea that people always go to the least obvious thing. In my mind, they think it's the most obvious. My shoulder hurts, let's work on my shoulder. To me, your shoulder is a symptom of a bigger issue. Unless like you're in a car crash and your shoulder got smashed in, right? Right. But even like athletes, like unless you got hit, I'm looking at the chain because I'm guaranteeing you that shoulder is just a symptom of everything else in the chain. And I don't know why that's so hard for people to buy into, to be honest. I don't have a good answer for that. 
No, and usually it's the same people that you know don't want to use um, ibuprofen or Tylenol for a headache because that's only masking the symptom, right? It's not taking care of the problem. So it's it is kind of it's it's very funny. And you know, the story I do want to share is we're closing up here, and I'll definitely give you the floor for the final few comments if you got them, which well, I, I don't know have you nothing do. to say, right? I never <laughs> Um, but, you know, it came through a conversation with you and me because I shared with you that I was talking to somebody that really bought into another person's like mobility concept or principles. And I'm not saying it didn't work because I was doing the same stuff at a, at a perform better there. And they were just enamored with like, because I think they're watching um, some of his stuff on social media, whatnot. But some of these drills, body weight drills where you're just rotating things, you're breathing and how that improved your shoulder mobility but it took a long time, you know, it's like it addressed the shoulder mobility, but it felt like it took a while. And again, I'm not quite sure because I love using load as the feedback because I think your body gains more of control, more motor control with the load. So I talked to that person and we, I showed them the around the world, which anybody that's listening to my podcast that's experienced my training knows that I have a very unhealthy relationship with around the world. It's like I do them all the time. I just cannot get enough of them. So I introduced them to the around the world. So we kind of talked about their shoulders, did a little bit of a, um, just kind of an eye test, I guess you could say, eye screen, just see where their shoulders were. Did a couple around the worlds, just standing. And all of a sudden they came out and it improved in just a couple, couple reps. And they weren't like mad, but they were just astounded that, wow, I saved so much more time if I just did this one exercise rather than all this... I'm not discounting breathing and things like that, but everything can be combined together, but with a little of that load. And as you talk about that PNF, those diagonal patterns, that's what I love about the around the world is there's that diagonal line that you're creating down and back that your body has to respond. Every time you cross the midline of the body, how that brain just really lights up. And I mean, it improves through the core stability, that distal mobility you know so around the world does it work on your shoulders yes does it work on your hips yes ankles feet i mean it's amazing i'm just i'm so enamored with this system and that's why like i dedicate my craft to dvrt is not because obviously i'm not getting any financial uh redistribution or anything like that you just go attest to that <laughs> yeah i i don't make any money by selling sandbags or anything like this i'm so believing in the product because for almost nine years i've seen people come in and things have, I haven't fixed anybody, right? But I made a lot of people better through the system. And that I just want everybody, like, my goal is to get everybody to just be all DVRT. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I mean, I, and I do think, I, and I've been that trainer too, where I spent a lot of money, spent a lot of time learning a system, thought it was going to be everything that I could ever, you know, solve every problem. Then I find something else is better. And the difference I think nowadays is I never got mad about that. Because I always learned something from what I did before, even if I learned what didn't work. But now it's weird that mindset is I'm upset because now the thing I thought that was magical isn't as magical as I thought. Instead of just going, ah, I just learned something better. Let's go, let's keep learning about this. Let, let me dive deeper. That's why that's how I dive deeper into another system, right? Mm -hmm. Nowadays we have people rejecting it because they're so needing to hold on to that new system that they just learned or that the community that they're a part of now, it doesn't mean you have to leave it completely because there may be some good things from it, but like, why not embrace things that you just like you gave them the experience? It worked. Right. Why not like be open? Like how, how can I integrate this? How can I learn more about this? I just wish people would see that more. And that's like why we 
kept trying to expand things like our myofascial integrated uh, movement program because there's certain things that people need from that too. Yeah. It's like everything we're talking about to me is like, it's not about having more tools. It's having about having better tools. So when that person comes in, I know when to pull out the hammer or I need to pull out that screwdriver, right? Depending upon what they're telling me, what I'm seeing, I tried that, it didn't work because it's the old adage, right? If all I, all I have is a hammer, then everything's a nail. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so if I have some additional tools and I understand what's happening because our two systems with our restoration, our MIM program are complementary. They're not contradictory. It's not one or the other. They're based on the same principles. They're just doing things a little bit different. So like, to me, it's just like, how am I gonna attack this problem maybe in a way that's more appropriate for this person than that person. But the thing that I think you and I keep talking about is if there's no system, if there's no direction to it, then I'm just grasping for exercises. And I get frustrated pretty fast because this one exercise that I've been taught that works for everybody doesn't work for that person. Now what? Rather than going, hey, I have a system. If this doesn't work, then I know I'm supposed to try this. And that's ultimately more than anything, more than the tools, more than you know, the, even the cool workouts you can do. It's understanding the system that really empowers people. <laughs> people are like, I thought I was going to learn about mobility, but it was so much more than that. I thought I was just going to learn about stretching a few times. We, we tried. We got off the rails and made some dad jokes, but it was all a good day. It's kind of a normal Josh and Corey time. There you go. <laughs> Well, I'm going to say I definitely appreciate you once again coming in and spending some time and enlightening our uh, our audience with something that they probably didn't think about or maybe they had a different idea of. So unpacking mobility, it doesn't have to be as crazy as people make it look. You know, you don't have to be doing all these different bodybuilding stretches, I guess you could say, um, to make an impact on your body's health and all this. So really with fast, all that. Really fast, Corey. Yes, please. The crazier the mobility exercise, probably the less valuable it is. That's a great message. That is, that's a good thing to take home. Like if it's like, wow, that looks insane, probably go away from it because <laughs> they're just trying to get some likes on social media. So try to be careful about that. Don't, it's a trap, right? Don't, don't fall in the trap. Don't take the bait. Okay. Thank you once again, Josh, for joining us. And for all of you people out there, I appreciate you listening to and hopefully you really got a lot of stuff out of here. Any questions at all, I'm always available for answers. If I don't know it, I'll just make it up as I go along. So until then, until the next time that we speak, Godspeed.